listening to Impact Insights, a communications podcast by the Impact Agency. Welcome to the Impact Insights podcast. I'm Nicole Webb, the CEO of the Impact Agency, and with me is Francis Dwyer, our General Manager. Hi, Fry. Hi, how are you going? I'm a little bit discombobulated today, I think. Um, I'm usually come to these podcasts a little bit more prepared, but uh, today I am officially winging it. Um, you can talk more than you normally talk. So um, please. Don't do that for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> That's cruel. The stage, the stage is all yours. Um, you can, why don't you start mm-hmm. and I'll just add my two cents worth um, as we go and um, hopefully it makes sense in the end. Well, this topic that you wanted to chat about today, it, it's Which I'm of, not prepared for. No, well, I, I think that, you know, you're always very good and very thorough in your preparation. I'm not. Um, so it's probably just, you know, your, ha- your habitual run into a podcast is a little different today. Um, but this is definitely in your wheelhouse. It's a passion topic for you. But um, I thought maybe we could start by talking about this world of Marcoms that we live in and that I want to talk about eyeballs. And the reason I want to talk about eyeballs is because I think that um, one really digital social-led trend that we've experienced over the last decade is a strong shift towards lead generation and sales activation-focused marketing over brand building and brand equity marketing. And uh, it's a bit of a yardstick uh, percentage spend that um, is often floated around the ad spend world of you should spend 60% of your budget on brand building activities and 40% on sales activation or sales campaign activities. But I think that our experience, you know, in our part of the marketing mix is that that's not been the case. And if anything, it's just watered down over the last 10 years. And last year was a real mixed bag. I think we saw some brands leaning heavily into brand purpose stuff um, to demonstrate, you know, that they've got your back and they're they're with their Are you talking about NRMA? (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, what was was the slogan they had through through COVID? I was going to say, I think everyone had a go at we're all in this together. That was definitely the phrase of 2020 that we don't want to hear ever again. Yeah, yeah. So some went in that brand purpose direction, but others went, well, things are uncertain. Let's just focus on leads. Let's focus on super, super targeted spend. Let's not waste a dollar or a cent. Only spend where we know these people are, where they're already consuming information that relates to what we're selling. Let's go there. Let's find those people and let's make them buy stuff. Let's make them like clickbait, you know, like clickbait news. Even if they don't make want them it, buy it, make it a dopamine it. hit, and then we'll yeah. send them an offer for ten percent off yeah. their next purchase as soon as, the, as soon as it goes through. <laughs> and you know what? I'll admit that worked a little bit for me last year too when I was looking for those little dopamine hits in lockdown. But what does it mean for your brand next month, next year, or the year after that? Um, so that's kind of what, what we wanted to talk about today, wasn't it? Eyeballs and clicks versus hearts and minds where I think that brand equity, brand building piece and that, you know, golden position of trust that brands really seek to achieve or should be trying to achieve if they're not, what's happened to that? 
So what do you what do, what do you think the split is then? If if I don't know if the rule was that it was 60 percent on brand building and forty percent on lead gen. What do you think the split has been? You mm. know, COVID's a bit of an unusual year, but outside last year. But um, I I'd go as high as outside of that. I'd go as high as eighty percent was being spent I, I on lead 2019, gen. Twenty nineteen, twenty percent on, on uh, that. That definitely was what yeah. we were observing a lot of in the market. I think we were sort of moving into this um, sphere of like sea of sameness, you know, like brands looked and felt the same from a user. You know, everyone spent all of this money and focus on let's create a seamless digital experience and a seamless in-store experience and everything became so focused on help them buy Sorry. as easily as possible that I actually forgot where I was and what like what the brand was that I was purchasing from. And so where's the stickiness? That means you'll just buy yeah. the one that's on sale next week that's a different brand and you, it starts to dilute the value of an entire category or, or, you know, if you're in the chocolate aisle of the supermarket and it, it, you're just going for the one that's on sale or if you're doing your groceries and it's the exact same experience in both, super, you know, the major supermarkets, what is gravitating you towards one versus the other if the prices are relatively the same? So that's the kind of thing that... I think is that what 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 do you think the split should be? Oh, that's a good question. Well, I think I definitely think it should be weighted to brand. And I know perhaps perhaps you know we should admit that coming from a PR um, lens, we're going to be pretty biased and towards brand over sales because a big part of what we seek to achieve with our clients is that connection with their audience that means something more than the click or the lead, although we do still play an incredibly important role with top of funnel leads. Um, I think it has to be at least 60 because we're seeing this trend towards uh, in consumer expectation that a brand has a why, that, you know, has a purpose and that they participate in society as, you know, an ethical um, organisation. And I think it's intertwined because the brands that have um, are of a size that is so visible um, means that, you know, the bigger the brand, the, the harder the fall. And an example of this could be, um, you know, misplaced judgments about getting in front of eyeballs versus an appropriate time and place for your brand. And that I'm thinking of an example of um, Ronaldo, Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola, yeah. So huge sponsor of Euro 2020. They have every right to say, you know, spending millions, probably more. So we're going to have a Coke Zero and a Coke and a water as an option and it's going to be front and centre in every press conference. Um, because, you know, we've got to get in front of those eyeballs. But don't you feel like it's just jamming it down your throat? Like Coke can be the sponsor of something without me needing to see the bottle visibly in every single press conference. Yeah, or, surely surely the logo stands on its own. You don't need well, to. Well, you know, I mean, it hurt them hard, didn't it? it 5.2 Aussie billion dollars later in, you know, in market opening, their share price plummeted, their total value plummeted. And, you know, they're still worth billions of dollars. I'm sure that in the scheme of things it's probably not going to, you know, be a brand-ending um, act. But interestingly, it has inspired another player to remove a Heineken bottle can be, yeah. from their press conference for the same thing, like this is not appropriate, this is not the time nor the place. 
And it made me think, hmm. Was it a sporting organisation? Was it, was, it, was it motorsport? What was it? What was the Heineken? No, one? no, it was um, Euro, Euro, the soccer competition in, in Europe or football. Oh, so the, the Heineken as well as so, soccer as well. See, now you're making me look like I don't know what I'm talking about because <laughs> I haven't done mine. <laughs> I, I briefly saw it yeah. too when I saw the Heineken You're reference. Look, this is where Nicole and I show that we are big time sports <laughs> fanatics, particularly of the world's game football. <laughs> um, no, it was. It was Heineken and Coke are both massive sponsors. I just doubted myself for a second. But yes, Heineken and Coke are both massive sponsors of Euro 2020. And I'm sure there's hundreds of millions of dollars involved. Well, I think it's appropriate. I mean, I know Coke is full of sugar, but Heineken beer it, it, um, sitting there on at the press conference after they've just played a major game of sport doesn't seem appropriate, but anyway. It doesn't, does it? Yeah. And no, also, it again, I think this is the, this is where product and brand, you have there, there is a time and a place for each. Hmm. And is the time and place for you to shove a bottle of Coke or a bottle of beer in front of an elite sports person who prides themselves in their personal brand of 300 million Instagram followers and the, you know, millions of dollars in endorsement deals that he has is wrapped up in clean, pure living, super healthy, super fit. You know, I think it's almost disrespectful to place those things in front of someone whose brand, you you could almost argue, argue that his personal brand, Ronaldo's personal brand, in some ways, for some people, eclipses Coke. So it's just an interesting consideration for a brand like that that probably didn't think much about sticking those bottles at the front of that press conference. But there's definitely going to be some serious discussions about whether or not that's a move they make again. And, of course, the Euro 2020 um, spokesperson came out and said, you know, all players are given the option of choice as to whether they would like to drink the water or the zero or the Coke, you know, just very diplomatic answer, but it's not going to change the response from the market. So I don't think you'll see the bottles there again. No, I don't think so either. So, yeah, I just thought with that and um, I think the the, that coming back to that theme around purpose and values and alignment and so on, it just seems to be more of a grey area where all of those worlds into um, overlap. Yeah, overlap. so you're saying so, 60, so it should be 60, 60, 40, 60% on building brand and 40% lead gen sales. Yeah, and I think um, the type of organisation you are, how how long you've been in market, etc. I think, you know, I think that the race to, um, or, or I guess the waiting, I should say, of focus on sales activation and lead gen came from challenger brands. I think challenger brands thought, we need to be scrappy, we need to operate differently. We aren't Coke. We can't afford to have a big vein, you know, brand campaign or or banks. Banks have historically, you know, mm. every five years or so, you know, redo their logo and it changes to Pantone colours and they spend, you know, $400 million on relaunching themselves with a different font and stuff like that. It feels very, um, yeah, very self-obsessed and, and a little bit irrelevant. But that's not what we mean by investing in your brand at all. We don't mean, you know, not to devalue the importance of um, visual identity, of course, but, yeah, not it's not just about changing a font or your iconography. It goes, or, it goes so much deeper, yeah, doesn't it? Goes it so much deeper. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a, a really good example is, say, a, la- a, a product that gets a cult following initially, um, 
I think that brands that grow from cult followings have a particularly hard time in determining when and how to shift from focus on brand and purpose and um, that sort of strength of word of mouth and advocacy for for the product itself versus uh, uh, you know versus sales. There's this there's this and horrible... being and being seen as a sellout too, right? Mm-hmm. The, the moment they've gone from this niche product. Um, and and then go into mass sales, then then what happens to those people that were the initial followers? Do they, you know, walk away disgusted that their brand has has done what it's done? And and a brand that I was thinking about that's been around for a really long time that's that's had a few incarnations and also like almost disappeared and then came back and is now stronger than its sister brand is Kmart. And I was thinking about how you know, Kmart has actually taken over a number of target sites in the last 12 months. And if you think about that brand, oh, God, I can't, I'm not very good at my timelines, but maybe, would you say like eight years ago, maybe, maybe a decade ago, um, was in a really, really bad way. And Oh, and Target go, was awesome. You'd go into Target for Target was Whoever the buyer there was doing an amazing job. And but then you didn't want to go into Kmart because it was always a mess. It was absolute shambles in there. You couldn't find what you needed. There was poor quality. There were so many options, but you couldn't get to any of them because of the layout of the stores. Like it was very, it wasn't a great, you know, customer experience. So there's a bit a, a business that went, what's going on on the ground and started there and built from the inside out. And so they didn't actually focus on brand and external for quite some time because they went. Let's fix what's wrong inside and then let's build from there to invite people back in. And that's what we mean about brand. We don't mean reskin it, get a new logo and then shout your name from the rooftops. We mean what does your brand stand for? Are you creating, you know, change or are you moving in a direction that you're proud of and how do you reflect that externally in a way that attracts people to your brand and makes you stickier? And earn, earn, and earn their trust. Yeah, yeah. You've got to earn their trust. You know, you, you, if they didn't do the work and they were shouting it from the rooftops and people went into store, they'd still see the mess and go, yeah. okay, you've told me this, but really in reality you're not living up to your brand your brand values or your brand purpose or whatever, whatever, you, whatever that shouting from the rooftops is. Definitely. Whereas that brand now is in a position where, a lot of the work is done for them by their, you know, supportive fans, but that's not because they've got the best products in Australia or... I don't know why. My daughter works there now. <laughs> Actually, yeah, you've got inside intel. Share with us, Nicole. Why Why is Kmart so successful now? Because my daughter works there. <laughs> <laughs> that's one proof know. point. What else you got? <laughs> I don't know. I think... Um, well, it's definitely more orderly in there now. Um, mm. I, I just think they do what they say. Mm. Yeah, they don't overpromise what they mm. are. They've created a sense of I think that they've struck this really interesting balance between um, you, useful, affordable and a bit of fun. Mm. I think that you can get all three things um, from Kmart, you go in and you know that you will get that little dopamine hit from the extra thing you bought 
you buy that you weren't intending to buy, but then you're also going to get the useful thing that you went to Kmart for in the first place. So it's quite accessible to the masses without um, overwhelming you with choice. Like there's not a huge amount of choice in Kmart. You don't go in and there's not, like I think of, um, you know, like uh, say the, the kitchen section, there's not 85 different mugs it's just a few choices and you're like, well, I'm, I'm a blue person or I'm a pattern person or I'm a, you know, classics person. So there's still a little bit of choice, but it's not overwhelming you with choice. It's just simple and there's three types of tubs, you know. It's, and I like that and I think that's maybe that's why. I'm can, I, can I just let everybody know we don't do work for Kmart. <laughs> <laughs> it certainly sounds like we do, but we do not do work no, for Kmart. I just thought it was a good example of a brand that, when we talk about brand building activity, some of that can be supporting like a community. Like one of the things that they do is there's a really big online community like Kmart Mums, for example, which they don't actually, they didn't create that group. They don't, you know, hide comments and delete, but they they support it and help to, you know, um, facilitated in a way I guess so just tell me a bit about Kmart mums this is where um Kmart mums buy something from Kmart and then they review it is that the yeah but it's organic it's like yeah. it's the utopia of earned media if you like in that you're not asking anyone to you know you're not you are asking them to do it you're not prescriptively asking hey try this thing and tell other people about it it's just that it's um mums will go oh, I like that, and then they'll just go, oh, try it on these today. What do you reckon? Or, you know, got three jumpers for 20 bucks, winter's sorted, something like that, some little post, and it can get hundreds of comments and hundreds of shares because they're like, oh, that would really suit my girls or I've been looking for a white jumper and I guess that's why I came up on the mind because Leah and I were having a chat before the podcast started and she's like, oh, I like your jumper, and I went came up and I don't know if I should reveal my secrets but the teenage girls section of Kmart. That's because <laughs> you're so tiny. Because <laughs> I'm short. Oh, it's my <laughs> secret little place to go to get it. Something it's a really nice. Fun. It's a really nice jumper too. It's, it's white. Mm-hmm. What else can we talk? Oh, let's, it's got like let's a explain. Sleeve, and it's cropped, so it looks good with a high waisted jean, which is very, you know. And it's the skinny jean. I'm, I will not accept this cancelling of skinny jeans. You will live to regret it, Gen Z. But anyway, we'll come back to that later. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, um, I digress, of course. That's my favourite thing to do. But coming back to, the I'm topic, just along for the ride today, Fry. So the reason <laughs> I wanted to take me wherever you want me to take you is to actually ask you a few questions because oh. who makes these decisions, Nicole? Who's steering the ship? Who's saying let's spend 80% of our marketing spend on pure lead gen or sales activation, you know, two sales activation campaigns a year instead of doing the work, the longer-term brand building work? Who's making those decisions and who should be making sure that there is that long game for the brand as well? I'm not going to be saying very nice things about our fellow advertising creative agencies asking this question. Um, <laughs> I think it's marketers who are, are that way inclined have probably been um, uh, worked with some advertising agencies that have convinced them that it's the way to go. Um, it's also that marketing CMO manager 
reporting up to the CEO saying that it's the right way to go. I think the CEO needs to get a little bit more educated on what's going on because they need to understand that building a brand is just as important, if not more important, than than you know the above the line above the line activities that the that their marketing team are doing. Hmm. So, yeah, it's the creative agency's fault. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, see, I I think it's my experience has been mixed. Some of it has been, yeah, led by the by an external agency or consultant has had a big influence on the direction of a business. But um, some other clients who've you know started working with us in the last couple of years, I've identified that there is perhaps a the business has structured itself in such a way that sales and marketing are viewed as one and the same thing. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. You know, like those two disciplines have been merged and there's a, therefore they're measured in a way that is probably appropriate to sales but um, is not doing marketing justice because it's too one-dimensional. So for a business to really value brand marketing, it can't bundle it all in with sales and, and call it sales and marketing and that's one thing and it's one machine because there's many parts to that machine. And I get it if you're not a huge organisation, you don't want to invest in multiple headcount or, or you know, you can't afford to invest in vanity campaigns. But what you have to consider is what are we saying externally about ourselves that links to our purpose or our why? Are we demonstrating um, that we think and feel and direct our intention towards things that support our customers, community and employees beyond the bits and bytes that we sell or are we literally just an online shop that just sells widgets or sells things and you can come in and you can go out and not remember the name of the shop? It's probably the the way that it's all measured as well. You do this, and it makes this many sales. You know, and you go, oh, you know okay, well, let's do more. Of, let's do more of that, so we make more sales. So it's a, yeah, so true. Yeah. But don't you find that, that so many businesses are so focused on lead gen, but then when you start to scratch the surface of it, you're like, but how many of those leads converted? How many of them were the right person? You know, especially in B two B, for example. Um, you know, the right person or the right organization that made the decision and invested in the service and it you know, had follow through and they didn't leave again the next month. Like let's drill it down to that because I hear a lot of talk about qualified leads. Mm. Now what qualifies a lead? It's not just about how targeted you get in where you display your ad or how you refine your SEO or how much money they've you know, in their pocket. What you're LinkedIn. Yeah, or what LinkedIn campaign you're doing or, yeah, what suburb they live in. It, these, these things help the theories and, and the hypotheses um, and you can test and tweak and learn. It's, it's, it's all part of the mix, but that is not the only way you can qualify a lead. The most amazing way you can qualify a lead is that they self-qualify. Mm. And how do they do that? They have to know who you are and what your brand is and why it exists before they make the purchase or before they walk into the store or before they inquire, they have to have some sense of who you are or at least when they come to that website or that shop front or that first interaction that they're able to understand that through a conversation or an interaction. 
because if they don't, you're just selling things and they can buy those things from the guy down the road as well. Okay. So I guess that's what I'm talking about. Are you going to the sale today? I should employ you. (laughs) (laughs) Was it, you know what sold it today? It was my big chat about Kmart in the middle. That's what really (laughs) sold it. (laughs) And me me momentarily forgetting what sport we were talking about. (laughs) Most famous footballer in the world. We we went from football to um, shopping. Well, well done, you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, just bring it back down to the people. Absolutely, absolutely. But um, you know what, uh, our our wonderful and look much smarter colleague that we both have, Victoria, would say, our um, group account director and head of um, issues and crisis practice. One thing that she would say about the importance of uh, brand building exercises is insurance, because she's also our risk our risk <laughs> manager. Is. Isn't she? She is. Should say effectively, it is insurance for your brand. Yeah. Because if you demonstrate that you care more, you know, beyond that transaction and that you have you, your purpose and your existence is more than just selling the things, then you're more likely to have a softer fall in the event that something goes wrong. So true. And to be forgiven if you're trusted. So true. So. Yeah, that's something that is definitely worth a lot of organisations thinking about is, you know, you invest in insurance, it might be a grudge purchase, (laughs) but you see value in it and maybe you can think about brand building activity as a similar thing. It's investing in the future and it's also an insurance policy if things don't go exactly as you hope they will. I think that's a really lovely ending to the podcast by Francis Dwyer because <laughs> I haven't <laughs> done anything. I haven't said anything. I'm drink water and a lot down. All right. Well, we should wrap it up there. Um, I'm Nicole Webb, the CEO of the Impact Agency, and um, you've been listening not to me today. You've been listening to Francis <laughs> Dwyer, the general manager. Wait of- next episode. It's going to be the Nicole show. Okay. <laughs> I promise I'll be more prepared <laughs> next time. Um, Everybody uh, stay safe and we'll talk to you next time.